But uh, I have felt that perhaps a series in the life of David is where I may end up. And so this is not technically a part of any series. It's just kind of a standalone message this morning. But it does in fact touch on the life of David. And as I was reading and studying this week, there was one verse in this text, in this chapter, that just sprung out to me and I could not get it off my mind. And so I believe that that is where God has led me to bring you today. So I want to try to preach to you a message this morning that's titled, Don't Sit Down Until the King Comes. Don't sit down until the king comes. I'm not going to read the text just yet because I want to kind of set the stage first. On September 7th, 2013, the largest collegiate crowd gathered together to watch a football game between the team up north and Notre Dame. That tells you how bad our world is. If 115,000 plus people would come to watch those two teams, we're in bad shape, you know it? But I got a picture of that, that game, if, if you guys can click on that picture, if it'll come up. There it is. You can't see everybody in that stadium, but there was 115,000 plus fans. But I want you to notice something. I circled the people on the field, but where are the majority of people at? They're in the stands. Spectators. There's 22 people plus the referees on the field. But 22 out of 115,000 are actually involved in the game. The rest are watching. I hope that in this coming new year, one of our resolutions, if you want to use that word, I would rather say whether our commitments would be to not be found on the sidelines. To not be sitting if the king were to come. I see it as a time where, man, here we are into another year. Time just keeps going. Time just keeps moving. But some of us have stopped. Time hasn't, but we have. And so, as we look at 1 Samuel 16, it's kind of, it kind of starts off the story in a sad place. Israel wanted a king. They looked around saw everybody else with a king, and they said, boy, we would do much better with a king. And so God gave them a king named Saul, and Saul had all the characteristics and qualities on the outside to be a great king, to be a great leader. But the problem on the inside was he wasn't fit for that. And so Saul fails and fails and fails until eventually God takes the kingdom away from him and gives it to somebody else. And we pick up in 1 Samuel 16. I want to get down to the text, but I just want you to see a few things as we get there. In verse 1... Samuel, the prophet, is grieving. He's grieving over what has happened to Saul. He's grieving over his nation now in limbo without a king. And so they're going to now get a word from God about what happens next. And I want you to see what what God says to him in verse 1. How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided, listen to this. I have provided myself a king among his sons. God says to to Samuel, you're going to go and anoint the one that I've already chosen. Samuel doesn't know who it is. Jesse, the father, doesn't know who it is. The brothers don't know who it is. 
Israel doesn't know who it is. But God already picked him out. God already knew, as He always does, what was going to happen next. He just sent Samuel to be obedient to what he was already doing. And so, we go through the story, and, and obviously, as probably we might as well, Samuel and Jesse are convinced that it's going to be the firstborn. The firstborn is obviously going to be the one of Jesse's sons that is anointed as king. And so here comes a young man by the name of Eliab. And Eliab comes forward, and guess what? It's not him. And so it goes on and progresses. I won't read each one, but it goes through the story. And none of these sons are qualified. But verse 11 is where I want us to look at today, and I want to try to use this text to bring out a couple of points. It says in verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said... There remains yet the youngest, and he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. In verse 1, God already said, I have the king chosen. And it was David. David was going to be king. And Samuel recognizes that this boy is going to be the one. And so he says, until the king, that's what he's saying here, until the king arrives, we're not going to sit down. We're going to honor and reverence him. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, as the Lord Jesus is now resurrected and getting ready to go back into heaven, I can only picture what this scene must have been like. And I can only imagine what it will be like for us if we are the generation that sees the Lord come back. But it says in Acts chapter 1, verses 9-11, through 11, Now when He, that's Jesus, had spoken these things while they watched, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand, they're standing and gazing, up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. Our eyes, church, need to be firmly fixed on the clouds. Because Jesus has promised that He is coming back the same way He went. Over and over the Scriptures tell us that Jesus Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, will be caught up. We'll be raptured out of here. To meet the Lord Jesus in the air. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, I'm not a date setter. The Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour. And so I'm not going to pretend that I can tell you the exact moment. But we can look around at things and say that the time is near. And everything is ready and at hand for that. But, if the Lord shows grace and patience and allows us more time, I don't know about you, but I want to be found faithful. While I'm still here, while He's given me another day of life, I want to use it for Him. 
I want to be standing when the Lord comes back. One of the most moving things, I don't know how many of you were here or how many of you saw it, but last two, two Wednesdays ago, we had our Christmas service. And little Ryder was here. And at the end, we, we all stood with our candles and sang Silent Night. And he would not, he would not sit, would he? Melissa was here. You guys, Monica was here. You guys were here. He wouldn't sit. He couldn't stand on his own. But Krista held him up because he wanted to sing that song on his feet. And when Jesus comes back, if I'm alive, I want to be on my feet. I want to be singing and praising and serving Him because far too many people, sadly, have sat down. They've sat down for whatever reason. And I'm not faulting you today if you're in that place where you've sat down. But I want to encourage you to get on your feet. To get on your feet for the Lord. Don't sit down until the King comes. I searched through the Bible this week and tried to find examples of where people had sat down for different circumstances. And I believe I found four that we all can relate to, to some degree. Maybe this morning you're in one of these places. I think, number one, that people sit down because when they look around and just see the state of the world, when they just see how things are, I believe Melissa was it mentioned in Sunday school, you look around and just how bad the world is, how evil it is sometimes, and it can cause you to get your eyes off God. That's true. In the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 9, we, we see that the work of God has been put to a halt. They're working on the walls, they're working on the temple, and then things stop. And then Ezra begins to read the Word of God and he begins to investigate things and he begins to see the intermarriage between Israel and, and pagan cultures and all this stuff is just overwhelming him. And in Ezra chapter 9 verse 3, it says of Ezra, when I heard this thing, everything that was going on, the sin, the rebellion, the, the, the lack of effort and work on the temple, I tore my garment and my robe and I plucked out some of the hair of my head and my beard and look what it says. I sat down astonished. That word astonished is translated a lot of different ways depending on what translation you use. It could really mean that he sat down just in sh- he was shocked. He was just overwhelmed that what was going on. There was so much evil and so much other things happening that he just became a little bit disheartened to the point where he just sat down. Have you ever looked around at people and said, man, things are so bad, nobody else seems to care, I'm not going to care either? You know, it's, it's a shame, but sometimes we can be pulled along right into the negativity. We can be pulled right on into the wrong mindset. Just as much as we need, that's why church is one of the reasons why church is so important. We need one another's encouragement. We need one another's help. We need one another's hope. There's not every day where I walk through the doors and I'm on cloud nine, guys. I don't know about you. But there's many times I've walked in here down and discouraged and left here encouraged because of you. Because of the, 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 just the smiles on your face and the way that, you know, it can be little things. A, a, a hug, a kind word, a smile. It, do, it doesn't take much sometimes to lift us up. And so Ezra got in the opposite place. He looked around at the world. He looked around at the state of his people. Or we could say he looked around at the state of the church as a whole. And just became a bit disheartened. Just became a bit shocked at things. And so he sat down. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've just let things of the world creep into your life. And depression and discouragement have just kind of gotten you to take some time 
in the chair. Get up this morning. The king's not done yet. Or he would have come for you. Or he would have come back for all of us. Don't sit down until the king comes. Don't cause the affairs of the world to cause you to lose sight that Jesus has already won. It may look like at times we're losing, but we're not going to lose. That, that game last night was, was gut-wrenching to go down to the end and you have to, you have to wait on one final kick to see if you're going to win the football game or not. But we don't have to wait for the last seconds of the fourth quarter. We already know how this plays out. So don't let the state of things in this moment cause you to lose sight of the fact that Jesus is already victorious for us today. Don't sit down until the King comes. I think sometimes sorrow causes us to sit down. I think things like depression and sorrow in our lives can cause us to just feel like, I can't go on, I can't do this anymore, I'm out of strength, I'm out of energy, I'm going to sit down. That happened to Elijah. And I'll say this, usually those things happen right on the heels of a great victory. I've I've seen it happen so many times where we'll have a great service, or you'll have a, a breakthrough in your life, or a praise in your life, and an hour later, as soon as you get home, the phone's ringing and something awful's happened, somebody's upset, somebody's this, somebody's that, right? It's always on the heels of a victory, when these kinds of things often happen. It was the same for Elijah. He just had a great victory over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And now he finds out that Jezebel is on a mission to find him and kill him. And it says in 1 Kings 19.4, But he himself, Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness. And look what it says. He came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. The sorrow and the fear had gotten so much, even though he just saw God do a great victory in his life, he goes out into the wilderness, he sits down, and he says, I'm done. I'm done. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you just say, I'm just so tired. I've been doing this. I've been trying for so long. I've been trying to have victory over this thing in my life, this sin, this struggle, whatever it is. And it feels like I take two steps forward and three steps back and I'm just tired and I would rather just go home to be with you, Lord. And I think we all have those moments. I think there's times where we're ready to leave this life and go on to a place where there's no more sin and struggle and suffering. I get it. But we can't sit down until the King comes. We're on His timetable, not ours. And if He's chosen to leave us here, my friends, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Don't let this season define your life. Don't sit down on Jesus when He's been so good to you. Don't sit down on Jesus when He's still got more for you to do and experience. When there's people out there that need you, they need your testimony, they need your advice, they need your wisdom. Don't sit down. Don't waste that. Maybe it's suffering that's caused you to sit down. Nobody knew about suffering more than Job. And I don't think any of us would fault Job for for sitting down and trying to figure out what in the world was going on in his life. But in Job 2.8 it says that that Job took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. He was grieving. Have you ever went through an extended period of illness? Melody, I thought about you. You certainly understand that. And many others, John, you understand what it's like to go through a season, an extended season of illness. It wears on every aspect of you. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, 
It drains you. And some days it just takes everything to just get out of bed. And some days you can't get out of bed because of it. I understand that. Suffering is one of the most difficult things that we go through. But the Lord Jesus also went through suffering. And He says to us that we will suffer like Him, but we will also reign with Him. That our suffering, Peter says, our light momentary affliction. Now sometimes it doesn't feel light, and it seems like an eternity when you're going through it. But in face of eternity, in face of what God is doing, it's a small, small thing compared to what God is doing and what He will do in our lives. Don't let suffering, it doesn't have to even be an illness. There's other types of sufferings that go on in our lives. The hurt sometimes of a family broken apart. All different things that can cause suffering. But don't let that cause you to sit down on the Lord. Many times people hurt us, people fail us, and we turn that around onto God and say, well, I'm done. I understand why people feel that way when they get hurt in church, when they get hurt by other Christians. But so often, it's projected onto the Lord. The church hurt me. That person hurt me. I'm just done with it all. God didn't fail you. Somebody else failed you. And if you live long enough, you're going to be the one that fails somebody else. It ain't always everybody else. You're going to mess up too. I'm going to mess up too. But in the midst of suffering, don't sit down until the King comes. He's going to use that story he's going to use that trial for a testimony to help others and lastly sometimes people sit down because of sin in their life look at peter shortly after the lord jesus had been taken away to stand before a mock trial in matthew 26:69 here's peter out in the courtyard and it says now peter sat outside in the courtyard and the servant girl comes up and you know the story perhaps don't you know this man aren't you part of the group that's with Jesus and Peter goes on to deny him three times and gets upset and angry and curses and then he turns and catches the eye of the Lord Jesus the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly Peter denied Jesus in the moment where he was so arrogant and boastful and said all these other men they may deny you Lord but not me and Jesus told him before the rooster crows three times you will deny me and he did he did and perhaps there's a sin in your life that's caused you to sit down on the Lord Maybe that sin has pulled you away from serving Him, pulled you away from worshiping Him. There's a lot of times where you don't even feel like coming to church anymore because you feel so unworthy of the things going on in your life. I'm thankful that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. I'm thankful that sinners are the ones that He came for because that's all there is. And if you need Him today, don't sit down any longer. Stand up and turn your eyes back to Christ. And come to Him. And receive Him today. Not for salvation again if you're already saved. But to restore you. To forgive you. To get you back where you need to be. Have you sat down today on the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us in Luke 18.8. Listen to what it says here. This is a question that I've pondered 
a lot lately. In Luke 18.8, I tell you, Jesus says, that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when the King comes, will He really find faith on earth? I wonder. I wonder if the Lord Jesus came back right now and looked around this room. What would be His estimation of our faith? How much will we trust Him in 2023? It's easy to step out when the money is there, when the people are there, when the opportunities are there. But will we trust Him if He leads us into uncharted waters? Will we trust Him if we don't know exactly how we're going to do it, how we're going to pay for it, how we're going to be able to, to have the manpower to do it? If it's in His will, will we trust Him and go where He wants us to go? Or will we stay seated until it's comfortable? Because the Bible says faith without works is dead. We can talk about it and we can sing about it, but will we put it into action this year, church? Will we stand up, not be on the sidelines like on that football game, and get involved even more? I'm almost done, but I want to give you a couple more verses. In Luke 19, verses 12 and 13, Jesus is telling a parable there. And I just want to pick up a portion of that. I won't read the whole parable. But Jesus says to them in this parable, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. Obviously, Jesus is using this story to speak of himself. And then to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered to them ten pounds. And he said unto them, I like the word the King James uses, Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. He says, I'm going away. Didn't he go away? We read in Acts that he's ascended. He said to the disciples in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may also be. He's coming again for us. But in between the time where he ascended and he comes again is where we are currently finding ourselves. And he says in this parable, while I'm gone, I've given you gifts. He gave these men 10 pounds. He's given us different gifts to use. Occupy, that word literally means do business until I come. Are we doing the Lord's business with the things that He has given us while He's away? We're going to give an account of our lives for what we have done with the things that God has given us. For every word we speak, for every deed we do, we are going to give an account as believers for how we've lived and how we've managed our lives. Are you ready for that? Or have you been sitting down too long? I want you to see one thing here in this text, and then we'll close. I'm thankful that the Bible teaches eternal security. I believe that all those who truly are saved and born again have something that they received from Christ who keeps that gift that we cannot lose. But I also believe the Bible teaches that God can take certain things away from us. I believe one of those things is His hand upon our lives. And we might use the word, the biblical word, His anointing on our lives. I think that there are many men, I've seen many men that were faithful preachers that God took His hand off their lives and their ministry became a shipwreck. I'm not saying they lost their salvation. Now, whether or not they ever had it, that's between them and God. But if they really had it, they didn't lose it. But they can make a mess of everything else, and so can we. 
Don't ever think you can't lose everything else. You can lose your ministry. You can lose your witness. You can lose your family. You can lose your job. Your decisions and your actions matter. And you don't want God's hand taken off your life. Because He'll do whatever is necessary to get your attention. And He'll do whatever is necessary to get you up out of that seat and on your feet again. Or maybe down on your knees first. And then you can get up on your feet. But either way, He can take things away. In Luke chapter 19, verses 24-26, listen to this parable. He said to those who stood by, Take the, the minna from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. If you don't use the gifts that God has given you, my friend, he can and will most likely take those away. If you have opportunities to serve, if you have gifts to use, I am asking you this morning to let God have control of your life and use those things. Don't ever be discouraged. Don't ever be disheartened to say, I have a gift, but I just don't know what to do with it. Get up and say, God, here I am. I'm available here. Like Isaiah, here I am. Send me. Let me use my gift. And He'll open doors. Wait for Him. Be patient and walk through the doors that He opens. Don't make your own way. Don't bust a hole in the wall. All that will happen is you'll hurt yourself and then you've got a hole in the wall. But that's not the door that was from God. Okay? I want to close, but I want you to see one more thing that jumped out at me. Verse 11 stood out. We will not sit down until He comes here. Don't sit down until the King comes. But, I found it really interesting to look at the very next verse. So he sent and brought him. So here comes King David. about to be anointed. God's already made him king. But now he's going to be recognized as king. He was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And listen to what it says here. And the Lord said, what? Now I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But if God says to arise, it means you are sitting down. He just said, we will not sit down until the king comes. And a verse later, I don't know how long it took to get David from the field and bring him back. But God says, get up. And I want to caution us this morning with this. You hear a message like this and you come to the altar and you say, Pastor, challenged us. I'm on my feet, God. You can count on me. I will not sit down again. Yes, you will. And I will too. Because this is not a magic pill, a silver bullet. There's not just a one-time thing where you're going to make a commitment and never fail again. All of us are. This is something that we have got to set in our hearts and our minds to strive for daily. I can make you sign a commitment card. You can come up here and testify and make promises, but you will fail Him. Just like Peter. They'll deny you, but I won't, Lord. And off he went and denied him. You see, this is a battle, guys. And the enemy wants you to believe that when you fail him, you're done. You're disqualified. It's over. You're just like everybody else. You're just like the preacher who fails him every day. But we have got to set in our minds that I'm going to stand on my feet and I will not sit down until the king comes. 
I am going to stand up. If I fall down, if I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up. If i got to lean on my brothers and sisters to get through this, I'm going to do it. But I am not going to sit down. I'm going to be just like little Ryder. Somebody's got to hold me up. I'm going to praise Him and thank Him and serve Him as long as I've got breath in my lungs. Because He's been too good to me to sit on the sidelines and say somebody else will do it. He's given me a gift. He's given me a calling. And I want to take what I have and use it for Him. And I hope you will too. But you're going to leave here today and you're going to get distracted and you're going to get discouraged and you're going to get hurt. And all those emotions are going to come back on you and you're just going to want to come over here and say, I'm done. I'm done. George can do it. Phyllis can do it. I'm over it. I'm over it. And when you have those feelings, guys, you've got to get back up and be reminded, be reminded that Jesus walked down the road to Calvary for you. He stretched out His arms and He died for you. He went back to heaven and He's interceding for you. He loves you with an unending love. He doesn't want you on the sideline. He wants you to occupy until He comes. I'm going to invite Phyllis and Daryl to come this morning for our invitation song. And I want to ask you this morning, are you on your feet today for the Lord Jesus? Really on your feet. Are you looking for